Good morning. It's Lisa here with another My 1440 interview. Today is Wednesday, January 13th. I'm here with Jean-Luc Van Charante from Suriname. And he's going to share with us his entrepreneurial journey. So we're going to let him get started. Pretty much, I'd like you to start with going through your day, you know, how you structure your day as a business owner. And it sounds like you work too. So you work another job or is that your business? It's mainly my business. So to give a little bit of context on, on myself, I'm a second or third generation entrepreneur. Depends on how you define the generational entrepreneurship. <laughs> uh, my dad is a pretty well-known entrepreneur in Suriname who started one of the most popular uh, cafes with one of his friends. But uh, he's actually uh, a doctor a specialized okay. doctor in, in uh, occupational health. Uh, and he did kind of his entrepreneurial journey on the side. But my grandfather from my mother's side is, was also an entrepreneur and fairly well respected within uh, the local society. So that's kind of how it gradually came about. Uh, I do have some influence from my mother's perspective. And she's an official artist, an internationally renowned official artist. So I kind of brought the creative to entrepreneurship. But on the other side, I'm also trying to bring the entrepreneurship to the creatives, which is very important because we, we as creatives tend to not look at uh, the money aspect that much. Mm -hmm. So that's how I grew about. I studied in Europe and then came back and dabbled around a bit. And uh, three, no, actually almost four years ago, I started my own business, which is a social media agency. And that's my main focus. But of course, I'm also involved with family business. So that takes a bit of my time as well. I'm a lecturer. I lecture at three, three different institutions uh, on a college level, uh, mainly about online marketing and social media as well. And I'm very active in uh, different organizations helping to develop Suriname. So that's kind of how I try to define my day. I'm also a Paul Harris fellow at uh, one of the local Rotary clubs. So I'm also in the Rotary. And I'm also since last year representing the private sector and the social economic uh, board for our country. So it's quite a lot. Uh, and that we want to combine <laughs> with, with my wife and two small children. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, it's kind of heavy, but I think that does help structure my, my day. So if we're going to talk about how my day starts, it often starts at me struggling, trying to get up because I create content on Hive, uh, <laughs> which I do late at night when my kids are asleep and when my wife is asleep. That's basically when I make my content. And that means that I have sometimes struggle, sometimes have a little bit struggle getting up, but I do have to get up around 6.30 in the morning. And then I have to get the kids up, get them ready for school and for daycare. And I, I bring my kids to school and daycare. Of course, during COVID, it has shifted a little bit but uh, that's kind of my regular day because I do have to get up at 6.30 because on a regular day, they have to be at daycare and at school at 7.30 and eight o'clock. So that's when I go to the office and then around a quarter past eight in the morning I'm at the office, I get 45 minutes to take off, take care of either something urgent that I couldn't get done uh, the next day or I get some freedom to uh, get acquainted with uh, my job and then from nine till 12, I've reserved for my business. 
So between nine and 12, it could be something that I have to do for clients or a client meeting or a training session or a strategic session with a client or an internal meeting with one of my team members to prep them for uh, a project that they have to do or being busy with the finance uh, of our company or the, or the general operations. And then I have a lunch break. Since this year, I'm reserving the lunch break to have lunch with other people. It's kind of the only moment of the day that I get kind of relax a bit and uh, have a little bit of fun. So I currently planned in, uh, there are kind of two ways that I can have lunch. One would be me deciding I want to have lunch with one of my project managers of my team or with somebody in the, one of my friends or somebody I haven't spoken to for a long time, or people that can actually hire me. So uh, I've noticed that there are a lot of companies in Suriname that want to hire me for strategic advice, but they don't have the, 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 the money for it. Mm -hmm. So I tell them, you can offer me lunch, you pay for my lunch, and I give you one hour for, of advice for free. So that's basically the lunch time. Uh, Should I continue or do you have some questions already? No, 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 continue. Yeah. Okay. So after lunch, I'm trying to reserve. Uh, usually that time goes into office stuff as well. But uh, I'm trying to reserve the, the, the time period between uh, 2 p.m. and uh, 5 p.m. I'm trying to reserve for creating content. Uh, I'm pretty well known in Suriname for being the person who to go to if you want to become an influencer uh, because of our agency, uh, a lot of influencer projects uh, that happen in Suriname, uh, social media influencer, but also general marketing influencer uh, campaigns are being run through us. So companies uh, come to us to find out which influencers are most suited for them. And uh, also in the contract negotiations with the influencers from both sides, both the influencers ask us to speak with companies and the companies ask us to speak with influencers as well. And uh, so that's what I'm known for. But on the other side, I still have my mom's creative side. So I want to create content as mm -hmm. well. And I've promised myself in 2021 that I would upload at least one video every day, uh, whether it's on TreeSpeak or on YouTube or on Facebook. Uh, but I'm trying to do all three of them actually. And that's the the, amount of time I've reserved. So I also have to consider that I have to create the content. I have to distribute the content. That's another problem. We often that we have like a, a great piece of content and then we forget to distribute it to make sure that people see it everywhere. So I take some time for that as well. And um, then there's always another project that I have to work on, which is either, like I said, I have to prepare a lecture for college, or I have to help somebody out for a family business, or I have to do something. And then between 5 and 6 p.m., I've reserved for a PA call, which my uh, executive assistant, assistant, and then we go through our day. So basically, we plan uh, the next day, we go through our calendar, uh, everything that comes in, from email to WhatsApp to social media. Uh, we discuss which meetings are requested and then we kind of plan it the, rest, the next day or the rest of the week. In ideal situation, only the next day. Uh, and then we have everything already sorted out. And then at six o'clock, I drive home. And then between six and 8 p.m. is family time. So the phones go away. 
I spend time with my kids and my wife. We eat together. And that's something, of course, thanks to COVID, because I used to go out and then come home at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. But now due to COVID, we have a lockdown. You have to be home at seven o'clock. So mm -hmm. that makes sure that from six to eight, I spend time with my family. And after eight o'clock, that's when the evening program starts. So uh, in some cases, it's a lecture. In some cases, it's a meeting. Uh, in some cases, uh, it's a podcast. I'm doing, currently doing two podcasts, uh, Social Confos, which is a more a talkative, talkative ICT business podcast, and the Lucky D Show, which is more of a sports podcast. So those are two evenings during the week that I'm committed to that. And then I have one day, uh, which is a date night. That's the time that I finally get my spend time with my wife as well. And uh, one day is for uh, my parents. On the Monday, we eat with uh, my parents. And uh, if I have any energy left after 11 o'clock, I might continue working <laughs> until <laughs> one or two in the morning, uh, or I just flat out fall asleep. So I think two days a week, uh, I, I bring the kids to bed, uh, or two or three times a week, I bring the kids to bed, I read them their bedtime story, and I go and lie down with them. And during those days, it could happen that I fall asleep at 8 p.m. and I wake up the next day. Oh, wow. <laughs> you have a lot on your plate. That's pretty amazing. Um, like, do you ever hit a wall like when you feel overwhelmed and it's like, what do you do when you feel that way? <laughs> I, I get that all the time. So a little bit of background, I studied leisure studies which is funny because when you study, that's my bachelor, I graduated. I have ma a master in urban development and planning, but in my bachelor, I studied leisure studies. And then one of the first thing are leisure studies or leisure studies, I'm not sure. One is in UK English, the other is in US English. So help uh -huh. me out, what is it in the US? Leisure or leisure? Leisure. leisure. Okay, so I studied, my bachelor, I studied leisure studies. And then everybody makes fun, ah, oh, you know what to do with your leisure time. And I'm like, no, I know how to make money from your leisure time. But, <laughs> and actually, I'm doing that because I'm making my money on social media. So the time on leisure time you're spending on social media is actually how I, I, uh, how I make money. So that's quite funny, actually. But uh, that's also where they teach you from a policy level, like a, a national-wide policy level, how people spend their leisure time. Because that's why I love the, my... Uh, uh, my 1440 is because, am I saying correct, by the way? Yeah. For, yeah, my 1440 is because you can almost predict how much time, somebody, spare time somebody has available in the day. And uh, if you, if you uh, extrapolate it to a week, you have 168, uh, 168 hours a week. And then you start taking that out, 40 hours away uh, for sleep, or 50 or 50 or 60 hours a week for sleep. And then you take off the time you spend for work. And then you have this small percentage left. So at, I think starting from when I was 25, I started becoming more aware of how much time I actually have. And then I always try to push the boundaries. So when I came back to Suriname after I studied, I said yes to everything. And I kept saying yes, 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 yes. Because I didn't know what I really would want to do with my life. So I decided if I don't know what to do, I'll just say yes to everything. And then at a certain point, I didn't have any time left. 
And then mm-hmm. I had to start scratching, like, okay, what do I think is more important, this or that? And then I started scratching things off my schedule because it just wouldn't fit anymore. And then two things happened. One, at a certain age, you want to do things more, we want to do them better. You realize that if you want to do something better, you have to spend more time at it, which means that instead of doing 10 things all over the place, you just do three things for, uh, with better quality. And then another thing that happened as well is when my first kid came, when my daughter came, all of a sudden I had less time. <laughs> so that's when I really had to make the decisions. Like before my children came, my wife would tell me, you should let go of a couple of things. You should not be active with so many things at once. But then when the kids came, I didn't have a choice. I just had to decide like, okay, no, I want to spend this time with my children. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, in the weekends, I don't work that much anymore. I basically, everything that I do in the weekend, which is work is for pure enjoyment. I don't schedule it in. So that's a way of kind of finding relief and finding like a balance between what is possible and not. And I still hit the wall all the time. That's, 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 that's part of it. So, I mean, what, what kind of advice do you give to entrepreneurs there who are just starting out like for prioritizing or if they hit that overwhelm wall, what, and are ready to say, all right, I'm done. This isn't for me. What am I? Yeah. So I think I, you have to be, you have to be fair with yourself. I think self-awareness is key. Uh, I, I mean, the main reason why I mentioned that I'm second generation entrepreneur is uh, I'm very well aware of the privileges I have mm-hmm. that I've had somebody for over 30 years, wherever we went, who looked things at things as an entrepreneur and kept saying in my ear, look at this, look how this is working. Why are they doing this? Explain to me. And that gave me a way to understand entrepreneurship because people have to understand I'm not an entrepreneur uh, by heart. Um, I'm more creative. I like to do creative things. If, if you would say, I wouldn't have to worry about financial stability. I wouldn't have to worry about what other people expected of me. I would become an artist in a heartbeat. I wouldn't care about any money, about any income, but I do have a family. So of course there's this kind of uh, necessity to have uh, financial stability or at least financial independence. And once you have that, you can look further and things. And, and I think that's something that people underestimate when they want to become an entrepreneur. They see successful entrepreneurs and they want to step right into where that successful entrepreneur is. Uh-huh. But they don't want the 10 to 20 years of, of, of going through mud and trying to get to a point that you actually understand how the market works, understand how politics work. Even if you don't do politics, I try to move around politics whenever I see politics. I hate politics because politics has nothing to do with skill. Politics <laughs> has nothing to do with actually uh, uh, resolving an issue or finding a solution. So... Uh, well, that's not completely true, but I, I think you understand what I mean. But for me, uh, but you still have to know how it works. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for me, I think that's the most important thing is that people have to understand you are your own. You've, it, you can't, there's a, a one size fits all that you can say, hey, if you use this model, just go ahead and, and do this. And where I notice that the most is because I'm a bootstrapper. So I'm a really bootstrap entrepreneur. If I don't have to spend any money on, on anything, I won't spend any money on anything. 
if there's a way to not pay for something and still get the solution or the value that I need, I will do that. And mm -hmm. um, that's a, it's a choice that I made because I don't need the status that comes along with a certain thing. Uh, and I completely respect that there are other entrepreneurs that do need that. Mm -hmm. So for instance, we won't, will never tell you who our clients are unless you ask for, can you give us a general idea of what branch, what kind of type of companies? Because we don't, we don't really care that people are like, oh, wow, these are these clients. Oh, these are really big international companies and they're your clients. And we're, we don't care about that in, in, in Afrobo in our company. But I completely understand that if your business model is built around actually the big clients using them as your portfolio to get other clients. I completely understand that you do that. Um, for us, we don't, from a bootstrap pers uh, perspective, I wouldn't need an office. I would, if I would be able to get an office for $300 a month, which is cheap, but that's for Sudanese standards, that's quite a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, so please don't quote me on, wow, he thinks $300 for office space is expensive because in the US that would be extremely cheap. Oh for sure to be standards, $300 a month to give you a general idea, that would be someone's monthly salary. And for somebody who is on a university level, uh, would be their salary. So it's kind of hard to get $300 to spend on rent. Uh, so for a person that is not able to pay for that yet, which is similar, so you can multiply it to, to the US standard, of course. It's easier to actually invite your, uh, your clients to a fancy restaurant or a fancy hotel and have the meeting there. And if you do that 20 times a month, it would still be cheaper than actually renting out, uh, renting a space. And now with oh. COVID, and now with COVID, it's even worse because basically you all do your, all your meetings digitally. So then the whole question becomes, do I still need an office? You know, so that's a, a, a changing concept in time where I would like, if you would ask me 10 years ago, how important is having this office at a prominent location? I think right now it's more important, and I'm gonna shoot myself in the foot right now, but it's more important to have a good website mm -hmm. than have a nice office at a nice location. And we haven't been able to make that transition. And I think that's one of the problems that we have with COVID the most is being able to make the transition. So if you would ask me like, what would be your best advice for an entrepreneur is if you have a business concept that you wanna put out, but it's not suitable now and you're waiting for it because of COVID, you can throw that business concept in the trash because you need a business concept that works during COVID. Because if you have a business concept that works during COVID, whenever COVID is done, it will only get better. But if you have a business concept that you need COVID to be over for, you should better start focusing on something else. So I think that's my biggest advice. Okay, that's, yeah, yeah because there's a lot of um, brick and mortar businesses here that are suffering, be like restaurants, family owned, really family owned businesses, yeah. because they can, if they're, you know, if you, you're not essential, like yeah. a grocery store or something, they make you close. Yeah. Or if you, unless you can do carry out for a restaurant, if you can do carry out and delivery, 
you know, but my, my sister, one of my sisters in Los Angeles owns a hair salon and she's been having to go to people's homes to do hair yeah. because they can't open their salon. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. So I, mean, I feel fortunate that I work from my, you know, we have a second bedroom that's an office in our apartment and that's what I use. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really difficult. But then again, so I think there's going to come a point, like, for instance, the entertainment industry, you can't do any events. So say you have an event venue, like you have this really nice event venue, but you can't open your doors because it's not COVID proof. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, what you're going to do is decide, you know what, if I have an open space and the restaurant has an open space or the event venue has an open space, uh, I'm going to get a... I'm going to get paperwork done so I can become a restaurant because at least when I'm a restaurant, I can either uh, do delivery, but when the space opens up and it's not available for events yet, but restaurants with an open terrace can open up, I can at least provide the entertainment together with the food and then people have kind of a night out. Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden, like that would work. Now, the same thing for a restaurant. If you're a restaurant and you're not allowed to open up, but supermarkets are allowed to open up. You should get the paperwork done that your restaurant could also become a supermarket because then there's different rules for supermarkets and people can still come in even though there are different COVID guidelines. So all of a sudden you're gonna consider like where I always thought I'm going to be this kind of business and I'm going to be exclusive for that. You're just gonna find in the end, you're gonna find a loophole in the system so you can actually open up and surface. Otherwise you have to fire all your employees and I think that's a very big issue at the moment. Some branches, especially in tourism, are uh, are not well, not essential. Like it's how do you? It's kind of the question: How do you make your company <laughs> essential? Right. And once you find a solution to that, you should start working towards that because otherwise, you can close up shop. Because tourism is essentially a leisure business. Yeah. And right now, that and. Like my sister with her salon, it's yeah. a, it's a high end salon, but it's not an essential service in the eyes of the government. Yeah. So you have to make it essential service, and the only way to do it is get paperwork done to to kind of make your business uh, fall other other categories that do have the opportunity to go open. So it's, it's a really weird situation, but I, I think that's the only way. What else can you do? Yeah, you can complain right. to the government. And I know it's easy talk for me. I'm in a branch where I'm like an industry where I still have a lot of work, but I do see it with a family business because we also own a restaurant and we also see it over there. And then all of a sudden you have to invest extra, a lot in, in, in uh, delivery and delivery services. But at the end of the day, it's the only way to, to keep your, to be able to provide a paycheck for, for all of the people working for your company. So uh, it's, it's a very difficult situation, but you have to adapt, adapt. you have to change. If you, if you decide to stay put and you want to do the same concept as before COVID, it's just not gonna. Yeah, you kind of have work. to adjust with the way things yeah. are around you to. Yeah. And it's also a great way to find strengths and talents within your company because then you realize that if, if, if you have people, if you have employees that are saying like, I want to work, just tell me what to do. 
and you let them research on what they can do. You'll be surprised with ideas they will come up with because I think what people underestimate is that, especially with people under 30, they kind of, the new generation, they kind of think differently. So they will come up with solutions that wouldn't probably, maybe not work for everybody, like not for all your clients, but they will come up with solutions that you wouldn't have thought of because you look at it from a traditional perspective. Mm-hmm. And they come with an idea that all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, why, why would it be able to do that? And I think that will help out a lot. If, if we can find a balance between generations, whereas the younger generations respect the older generations and understanding how things work, that you have to be patient, that there are certain things that you come across only later in life, and on the other side, the older generation opens up to the younger generation, accepting them, giving them some space to creatively think of ideas that are a little bit out of the box. And you should, you should try quickly and stop quickly as well. So you give them an idea, they roll with it for a month. If it doesn't work, you throw it out the window. But if it sticks, you continue on doing it. And I guess that's the only way to rapidly change your business into something new. And we've seen some examples of people who kind of were thinking like, okay, this is never gonna work. And they completely turned around the business. So there, there are options for that, but um, it's not like there's a one size fits all. Like, okay, this is what you can do. You own a restaurant, these five steps will help you out uh, with your problems. No, but if you know your what the quality is of your, your strengths are, of your company, you can easily find other ways that your clients will still be interested uh, in purchasing something from you. Well, my sister, who owns a salon, also has a, a line of hair, a product. So shampoos and that yeah. skincare. So, you know, she's promoting that along, you know, well, this is going on. And of course, doing the house calls to people who should, you know, regular clients, who you know are okay with her coming into their home but yeah you have to again you have to adjust to what your situation is yeah. and how's, how does she promote it through social media i guess what what kind of channels does she use um i, I think for sure she uses facebook and instagram and stuff like yeah those okay. are i think those are her two main ones okay i i definitely i think also in the u.s uh, in Suriname now as well i think tiktok has become kind of like this um, go-to entertainment app for everybody in COVID, especially younger ones. And now I think the interesting thing about, about TikTok that people underestimate is the reach it has. Like uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, it's kind of hard to grow if you don't advertise or if you don't have like a really structured pattern. Um, and organically your reach keeps, because it's so filled, it's so cluttered. Uh, and, and basically Facebook ad is pay to play. So even, even if you just have to advertise locally, uh, directly to a certain audience, they kind of push you towards advertising uh, mm-hmm. because the only way to organically get reach with Facebook, if you, if you really know how to use Facebook groups, that's one way to kind of still being able to use Facebook without, as a company without having, sorry, to pay them for advertising as Facebook groups. That's a great way. And another way is, consistently posting a lot of content, which means like three to five times a day, uh, consistently on the same time span every day, which is kind of like a full-time job already. Mm -hmm. Whereas with TikTok, you could still reach, you can even just reach tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands or a million people just by going viral through their algorithm. And because not a lot of businesses are on TikTok, uh, 
it's it's actually easier to get the exposure especially for for hair products as well but uh, anything that you can visualize uh, would definitely work on tiktok so that's that's a tip i would give to at least at least have a look at it and not worry too much about it just spend like 30 minutes a day posting just one video a day just starting with that helps out a lot as well that's interesting because, yeah. yeah, I don't know very much about TikTok at all. I'm yeah. learning a whole lot about the blockchain, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's something else. I'm not even. Uh, it's 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 hard to. I, we just posted. Uh, I think last week we did a podcast about why cryptocurrencies and blockchain is 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 not really present in our country. It's because the the three uh, concepts of of cryptocurrency that have been promoted the most in Suriname are actually actually multi-level marketing schemes instead of actual crypto. So as soon as you talk about crypto in Suriname, there's one part that's a small part that's already infested and understanding. And there's a very big group that's like, oh, you're coming with one of these schemes again. And we're like, <laughs> there's a slight difference, but yeah, the, the, the three biggest uh, crypto promotions in Suriname were basically uh, were not cryptos, but MLMs. And that's really difficult because if you, even if it's just Dash or Monero or a crypto that's even on the second uh, second rank, but which is actually tradable uh, crypto, it would be a lot of, very much different. But now we just had uh, one coin and that coin and those kind of coins that actually are, uh, are very, very different entities than actual what we know as, as blockchain technology. So that makes it difficult as well. Yeah, but like before um, CTP launched, oh, sorry about that. Before yeah. CTP launched back in 2019, well, they relaunched back in, I knew, the only thing I knew about Bitcoin was that it was underground. People used it to go on the dark net. That, those were the kinds of things I was hearing. So I'm like, ooh, Bitcoin, that's like for like cartel owners and stuff like that. <laughs> and yeah. that, you know, I never knew the legitimacy around it. But I, you know, I found Bitcoin Bully before they relaunched CTP. I'm like, oh, okay. So this isn't just like for criminals. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, well, it's, it's BTC. I think Bitcoin still has kind of that that kind of, that's one of the things, but people should know that like big banks, like uh, million dollar banks, like Morgan Stanley and those kind of banks, they've invested, I'm not sure if it's exact, if it's Morgan Stanley, but similar banks to them have invested millions of dollars in, in crypto. Uh, and, and that's something that, so there is a very big use case. The only thing that people don't, that we don't know is what happens to the value of one Bitcoin as soon as all the supply is circulating all over the world. So because now there's scarcity. So everybody knows like, oh, there's a limit amount, limited amount of, of this. So as long as there's a limited amount, the price keeps going up. But at a certain point, all the Bitcoin will be mined. And then we'll, it will become interesting because the price could become 1 billion, but the price could also become $1,000. So that's something that we still have to figure out when it comes to, to Bitcoin. Uh, I think the the, the, inter, the 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 crypto that's most connected to uh, uh, to the, the black market and those kind of things is Monero because Monero is more kind of I think the biggest privacy coin so you don't know really don't know who owns it so that's a XR, X, XMR 
XMR, I think, Monero. So that's an interesting coin. And I think CTP is a very interesting case for a second layer token because uh, CTP is a token on the high blockchain. So it will be interesting to see. For me, uh, Leo and CTP are the two tokens that I'm really interested in, where I really see that there's a big community that's a community that's helpful, that really is open, that wants to support each other. And for me, those two tokens are the only kind of second layer tokens connected to Hive that I'm really involved in, except from <laughs> beer and weed, which I get from my D-City. But that's just because <laughs> I play I play a crypto game and I mine small parts. Well, I don't mind it, but the game mines small parts of those tokens as well. Uh, but I think, I think it's a great... Uh, that uh, what uh, CTP has done for, for the community. And I, I'm really happy because it's for me a very good user case to see how much uh, value, but also how much trust can be put into this technology. So that for me gives, and I, it gives a good feeling knowing that people really care and wanna support each other and help each other. And I think that's for me is the most important thing. Yeah, I came to actually this one. This was a the interview. The my fourteen forty was an idea that John planted in my head because he's he was always oh. talking about my fourteen. You only have fourteen hundred and forty minutes of every day. How are you going to you know spend them, or how are you going to prioritize your time? I'm like, hmm, that'd be kind of interesting to start interviewing entrepreneurs and see how they prioritize their days, how they spend their fourteen forty. That's smart. That's really smart. He kind of put it in like a, how do it? Inception. He kind of went Inception and got into your, and you, okay. Well, for me, I think it's, it's a very much a process. I think uh, the hardest part is, is that I'm, I used to think that I used to be an evening person, that I would be a night owl. And uh, when I got children, I kind of completely let go of it. Mm-hmm. And I no longer can say that I'm like a night owl uh, as much as I used to be when I was studying. So for me, that's a, it's, it's a very big shift. And also using a calendar, uh, my, my high school years and my early studying years, I, I, I never wanted to have a structure. Uh, I never wanted to commit to a calendar or have a calendar with me. And now it's kind of a necessity because of the realization that you have to plan in your day because you want to get a lot of things done. Well, this was a very nice talk. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining us. I loved it. I was, uh, and I want to thank everybody who's watching. So thank you for watching when you see this. And also I do want to ask a question. Uh, is that a lot? Can we ask a question to people? Oh, absolutely. This? So, um, the question that I want to ask is um, how much time a day do you spend on yourself? Like time a day, that minutes that you make available, that you just focus on yourself. Not creating something or putting out content, but just taking yourself, time for yourself to relax. That's a question I want to know from the audience. And if they want to, they can also say how they spend that time but for how much time a day do you spend for yourself? And of course, I want to ask you that question as well. So how many, how many of those 1,440 minutes do you have 
the real V time where it's only for Lisa? My time usually comes in the evening, um, probably a couple hours in the evening. I just kind of, you know, my husband and I spend time together. We'll watch a movie, watch TV. And that's really just our, our, our me time together. Oh, that's awesome. Because he's, he's retired. So, you know, he's not working. So he, he kind of has me time all day long. <laughs> but uh, our time together is usually in the evening. And really in the morning, too. You know, we'll have breakfast together. And so, and that's what I love about this. Because I can start my workday and stop my workday whenever I want. As long as I get my, you know, my content produced or whatever I get my stuff done and it's really and there's no he has two daughters but they're both grown up yeah so we don't have any kids living at home I never had any kids so you know it's really just it's been just the two of us for years now the empty nester thing <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that I'm retired as well because everything that I do I do for fun uh, that's that's the goal in life, basically. That's why I like doing this. It's you know, it's all my choice. Okay. Well, thank you for uh, for having me. I think it was uh, a lot of fun getting to know you a little bit as better as well. Well, thank you. I enjoyed getting to know you too, and about where you live because I, for some reason, I thought Suriname was in Asia, or I don't know. It never occurred to me that it would be in South America. That's the greatest trivia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jean-Luc, thank you very much again. I have a quick question for you when I stop the recording. All right. 